Revelation chapter 18, and we're going to read the entire chapter. It says, And after these things I saw another angel come down from heaven, having great power, and the earth was lighting, lighted with his glory. And he cried mightily with a strong voice, saying, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen, and has become the habitation of devils, and the hold of every foul spirit, and a cage of every unclean and hateful bird. For all nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication, and the kings of the earth have committed fornication with her, and the merchants of the earth are waxed rich through the abundance of her delicacies. And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, that you be not partakers of her sins, and that you receive not of her plagues, for her sins have reached unto heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. Reward her, even as she has rewarded you, and double unto her her double according to her works, in the cup which she has filled, fill to her double. How much she has glorified herself and has and lived deliciously, so much torment and sorrow give her. For she saith in her heart, I sit a queen and am no widow and shall see no sorrow. Therefore her plagues come in one day, death and mourning and famine, and she shall be utterly burned with fire, for strong is the Lord God who judges her. And the kings of the earth who have committed fornication and lived deliciously with her shall bewail her and lament for her when they shall see the smoke of her burning, standing afar off for the fear of her torment, saying, Alas, alas, the great city Babylon, that mighty city, for in one hour is thy judgment come. And the merchants of the earth shall weep and mourn over her, for no man buys their merchandise any more. The merchandise of gold and silver and precious stones and of pearls, of fine linen and purple and silk and scarlet, and all thyine wood, and all manner of manner all manner vessels of ivory, and all manner vessels of precious most precious wood and of brass and iron and marble and cinnamon and odors and ointment and frankincense and wine and oil and fine flour and wheat and beasts and sheep and horses and chariots and slaves and souls of men. And the fruits that thy soul lusted after are departed from thee and all things which, are, which were dainty and goodly are departed from thee and thou shalt find them no more at all. The merchants of these things which were made rich by her, shall stand afar off for the fear of her torment, weeping and wailing and saying, Alas, alas, that great city that was clothed in fine linen and purple and scarlet and decked with gold and precious stones and pearls. For in one hour so great riches has come to naught. And every shipmaster and all the company and ships and sailors and as many as trade by sea stood afar off, and cried when they saw the smoke of her burning, saying, What city is like unto this great city? And they cast dust on their heads and cried, weeping and wailing, saying, Alas, alas, that great city wherein 
were made rich, all that had ships in the sea by reason of her costliness. For in one hour she is made desolate. Rejoice over her, thou heaven, and ye holy apostles and prophets, for God has avenged you on her. And a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone and cast it into the sea, saying, Thus with violence shall the great city Babylon be thrown down and shall be found no more at all. And the voice of the harpers and musicians and of pipers and trumpeters shall be heard no more at all in thee. And no craftsman of whatsoever craft he be shall be found any more in thee. And the sound of a millstone shall be heard no more at all in thee. And the light of a candle shall, sh- shall shine no more at all in thee. And the voice of the bridegroom and of the bride shall be heard no more at all in thee. For thy merchants were the great men of the earth. For by thy sorceries were all nations deceived. And in her was found the blood of prophets and of saints and all that were slain upon the earth. Let me just ask with a question, why are we here? I don't so much mean, why are we here this morning? But if we did attempt to answer that question, why are we here this morning? I would, I would hope the answer would be to glorify God. What I mean, more in the sense of humanity as a whole, why are we here? What is our purpose? Well, truly, the answer is not any different. It's the same. The purpose is to glorify God. There are many statements of faith or catechisms that that have the question and answer found this way. What is the chief end of man? The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. And surely, that is our purpose. Isaiah 43, 7, God says, I have created man For my glory. We are made for the glory of God. To praise Him. To express thankfulness to Him. For Christians, the Apostle Paul expressed it this way. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Right? In every single thing that we do, in every moment of the day, when we find ourselves singing songs or working at our jobs or being husbands or wives or mothers or fathers or children, it ought to be with purity of heart and with a purpose of mind to praise God. Our attitude should be one of thankfulness, trust, love, and obedience to Him. That is what ought to be. But humanity has opted to rebel against God instead of glorifying Him. The Apostle Paul's indictment of all mankind in Romans 1 was that When they knew God, they would not glorify them as God, neither were they thankful. As a result, he says, they are without excuse. We need to remember this when we come to these chapters of Revelation 17 and 18. The kind of destruction and devastation that we read about in these chapters as God pours out his wrath on this wicked world system. Some people see it as a cause for mourning and other people see it as a cause for rejoicing and we're going to be faced with embracing one of those two options in fact the longest section of this chapter verses 9 through 19 is a series of sad songs mourning the destruction of babylon 
And you will either sympathize with that mourning or you'll recognize that the cause of this destruction is the inexcusable failure to glorify God. Instead, verse 7 explains what the world system glorifies. Look at verse 7. How much she has glorified herself and lived deliciously, luxuriously. We'll talk about that word in a moment. Now to remind you, of last week, Revelation 17 and 18 are essentially two sides of the same coin. Both are recording the destruction of Babylon, the wicked world system. Chapter 17 records the wrath of God on the religious aspects of the wicked world system. It's described as a great prostitute riding a beast that we identified as the Antichrist, right? There is this religious world system that embraces and advocates and advances the evil world order. But eventually, the secular aspects of that wicked world system turn on the religious ones. They turn on that prostitute in chapter 17. We noted chapter 17 describes 10 kings who are sort of client kings or governors ruling under the Antichrist and they hated her. Verse 16 and 17, uh, verses 16 and 17 back one chapter, they say that they hate this great prostitute and destroy her because God put it in their hearts to fulfill his will. And so as I understand it, God will use sort of the political and secular aspects of this wicked world system to destroy the false religious system. And then in chapter 18, which we just read, after God has used them as a tool for his wrath, he's going to make them the object of his wrath. This world was made to glorify God and all humanity that will not glorify them in their lives will glorify him as objects of his wrath. We're going to go through this chapter just very quickly in five parts this morning. First, note the devastation assured in verse 1. After these things, I saw another angel come down from heaven having great power and the earth was lightened with his glory. Well, chapters 17 and 18 are both visions of the destruction of Babylon. It is evident that a change takes place at the beginning of chapter 18, right after these things. I saw another angel come down from heaven, another of the same kind of angel. John says it has great power. This is a messenger with the revelation of God's glory. The the earth is illuminated with its glory. This story is a continuation of the judgment on Babylon, but while Revelation 17 records the destruction of the religious aspects, this chapter transitions to the destruction of what we'll call secular Babylon. Verse 2 and 3 cried mightily with a strong voice, saying, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen, has become the habitation of devils, and the hold of every foul spirit and a cage of every unclean and hateful bird for all nations have drunk the wine of the wrath of her fornication and the kings of the earth have committed fornication with her and the merchants of the earth are waxed rich through the abundance of her delicacies. As John does throughout the book of Revelation, we've seen this, 
He receives visions that seem to be an echo of the Old Testament prophets. In this case, we'll make a lot of references this morning to both Isaiah and Jeremiah. Isaiah 21.9 records of ancient Babylon. Babylon has fallen, has fallen, and, is caught, and all the carved images of her gods, he has broken to the ground. Jeremiah 51.8 speaks of ancient Babylon. It says Babylon has suddenly fallen and been destroyed. Wail for her. In addition to proclaiming the certainty of this devastation, the angel also outlines three reasons this world system must be destroyed. First, the end of verse 2, it's become the dwelling place of devils and foul spirits. The world system is seen as essentially a demonic wasteland only suitable for judgment. I think the idea, by the way, of uh, being the place for uh, a caged uh, and unclean and hateful birds is to give the imagery of like this carry-on eating birds like buzzards picking at the carcasses and the destruction. That's the first reason this must fall. It's the dwelling place of devils and foul spirits. Second, in verse 3, nations and kings have engaged in her fornications, it says, her sexual immorality. This demands destruction because consuming such sin, it's described as if you are drinking from a cup of wrath. The third reason it must be destroyed at the end of verse 3 is that merchants have grown rich from the excessive luxuries with which this wicked world system has prided itself. Three times in this chapter, John uses this word delicacies or deliciously. The idea of that word is a word describing luxury or sensuality or arrogance. By the way, this is a good warning for America. Economic prosperity with arrogance and without restraint is a cause for God's judgment. Second in this chapter, look at the departure that's commanded. I, wa- I want you to just picture yourself being in a, in a crowd, say outside on a sidewalk, and you are about to step into the city street without seeing its traffic is against you. Right? And suddenly, multiple voices start, start shouting, demanding your attention. That's, in some small way, what we're seeing in chapters 17 and 18. As this destruction is seen, in verse 17, there is an angel showing it to John and, and speaking to him and warning God's people. In our text, in verse 1, there's another angel. And now in verse 4, he says, well, there's another voice from heaven. Right, and the unified message of all these multiple voices is to shout danger. Right, look at verse four and five. I heard another voice from heaven saying, "Come out of her, my people, that you be not partakers of her sins, and that you receive not of her plagues, for her sins have reached into heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities." One consistent message of Scripture, both Old and New Testament, is that the people of God are not to be entangled in the wickedness of this world. We are to be separate. We are to be holy as God is holy. Israel in the Old Testament struggled with resisting sort of the 
destructive influences of the evil empires that, that existed around them. Christians in New Testament times experienced the same temptation. We are in the world, but we are not to be of the world, and that is by God's design. Jesus' prayer in John 17, 5 was for that very kind of existence. Jesus prayed, I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from evil. Paul wrote, do not be conformed to this world. James wrote, friendship with the world is enmity against God. Peter wrote, for us to escape the pollutions of the world and not to become entangled in them again. John wrote, do not love the world or the things that are in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. You would think the preponderance of the evidence would be clear enough. You cannot be attached to this world or the things in it. And as the end comes closer, the urgency of that message is is communicated through multiple voices, ending in this admonition, come out of her, my people. God has people In this world, he even has people in the depths of luxury-addicted Babylon. But there's also the warning that if you participate in her sins, you are going to participate in her judgments. This is, again, an echo of the Old Testament. As the, the nation of Israel was captive, right? They were carried away, captives, to the city of Babylon. The command of God was to to pray and work for the good of Babylon, for the very place that you were at, while not worshiping the idols of that place, to be in it, but to be separate from it. Knowing that ultimately God would remove his people from Babylon and then that city would be judged. John receives this vision in verse 5 of secular Babylon's sins reaching into or unto heaven, literally piled up unto heaven. It's almost impossible to resist the the imagery that her sins are piled up like the Tower of Babel reaching into heaven. And it matches the message of the prophets of the... when, When God spoke to those Israelites who were in captivity... Right? This is what he said through the prophets in Jeremiah 51.9. We would have healed Babylon, but she is not healed. Forsake her and let us go, everyone to his own country, for her judgment reaches to heaven and is lifted up to the skies. Later on in the same chapter, Jeremiah issues this same command that we find here. In Jeremiah 51.45, My people, go out of the midst of her and let everyone deliver himself from the fierce anger of the Lord. If you will not separate yourself from the sins of this world, but instead you get ensnared with them, the time will come when all hope of healing is over and only judgment remains. You must disentangle yourself from this wicked world. You have to come out of her. Now we've seen first, this devastation is assured, this departure is commanded. Now third, There's the damages that are assessed. The prophet Isaiah was given a message from God, not addressed so much to the people of God, but 
oddly to the Babylonian empire which held the people of God. God told ancient Babylon that it had mistreated his people. The message through the prophet Isaiah to Babylon was this. Isaiah 47, I'm going to read verses 7 through 11. God speaks to Babylon. You said, I shall be a lady forever, so that you did not take these things to heart nor remember the latter end of them. Therefore, hear this now, you who are given to pleasures, who dwell securely, who say in your heart, I am and there is no one else beside me. I shall not sit as a widow, nor shall I know the loss of children. But these two things shall come to you in a moment, in one day the loss of children and widowhood. They shall come upon you in their fullness because of the multitude of your sorceries for the abundance of your enchantments. For you have trusted in your wickedness. You have said, no one sees me. Your wisdom and your knowledge have warped you. And you have said in your heart, I am and there is no one else beside me. Therefore, evil shall come upon you. You shall not know from where it arises, and trouble shall fall on you, and you will not be able to put it off, and desolation shall come upon you suddenly, which you shall not know. Right? Ancient Babylon, the description is like, she's convinced she's the queen of the world. She is living in untouchable luxury, able to engage in the vilest of sins because they were self-confident. There is no God who sees me. There is no God who could possibly overcome me but the God says to Babylon well your judgment is coming soon in a moment in one day it's this way that biblical history sort of mirrors this biblical expectation of the future John sees that same story play out again with the wicked world system the Babylon of end times Look at what he says starting at verse 6 and see how this echoes Isaiah. Reward her even as she rewarded you and double under her, double according to her works in the cup which she has filled, fill to her double. How much she has glorified herself and lived deliciously. So much torment and sorrow give, for, give her for she says in her heart, I sit a queen and am no widow and shall see no sorrow. Therefore, Shall her plagues come in one day, death and mourning and famine, and she shall be utterly burned with fire, for strong is the Lord God who judges her. The record is going to be set straight when the righteous judge of the universe comes and does what's right, and he always does what's right. God's going to judge this wicked world in righteousness, and his justice will prevail. Now, you could hear a complaint about this justice, right? It it says in verse 6, Give her double according to her works, and the cup which she's filled, fill to her double. And it sounds like God is saying he's going to give double wrath to Babylon, which sounds unfair, right? But the idea of double here in Scripture, it's an Old Testament figure of speech, which means to give complete or to give the full measure which is exactly what Isaiah said. In fact, if you were reading this in the original language, verse 6 literally begins, render as she rendered double the double of her works. The idea is to give fitting judgment as Babylon has committed the 
full measure of sin, God's going to administer the full measure of his wrath in response. Because just like ancient Babylon, this world system sees itself as the confident ruler of the world, living in untouchable luxury, able to engage in the vilest sins, self-confident that there is no God who sees and no God who's able to overcome her. And so destruction will happen speedily and suddenly. That is, it's going to come fast and it's going to be over quick. Verse 8 says her plagues come in one day, death and mourning and famine and utter destruction with fire. And God is going to be glorified for it. Note the end of verse 8. Strong is the Lord God who judges her. The destruction of Babylon will be for God's glory and prove God's strength. In fact, in regard to ancient Babylon, that actually became a, a song for God's people. Psalm 137 verse 8, O daughter of Babylon who are to be destroyed, happy is the one who repays you as you have served us. Now we'll come back in a moment to the idea of praising God for his justice. But suffice it to say, as we move on into the next section of the chapter, praising God for his wrath is not a universal sentiment. Look at the fourth thing, dirges sung. I mentioned earlier the longest section of this chapter, verses 9 through 19, is a series of sad songs over the destruction of Babylon. There are three lamentations or funeral dirges, right? Sung by three different groups that are mourning the loss of this world system. And so we'll read each of them individually. I'll try to keep my comments relatively short. The first mourners are political rulers. Look at verses 9 and 10. The kings of the earth who have committed fornication and lived deliciously with her shall bewail her and lament for her when they shall see the smoke of her burning, standing afar off for fear of her torment, saying, Alas, alas, the great city Babylon, that mighty city, for in one hour is your judgment come. Now note, these kings of the earth that are mourning are the same ones up in verse 3 that are described as the kings of the earth committed fornication with her. Right? They are, they are entangled with her. They're sorry to see her destroyed, but even though they weep and mourn, they do it from a distance. Verse 10 says they stand afar off. I think a fellow named Daniel Aiken expressed this really well when he said this, quote, Suddenly, all they have lived for is gone, taken in a moment. And it's more than they can bear. Yes, the loss, yes, they mourn the death of Babylon, but mostly they sorrow over their own loss. In the end, all of life is about themselves, not others. They once, the one they once called lover, they now remove themselves from. They don't run to her rescue because they were only using her as she used them. She might have been their lover, but she was never truly loved. And so the, the political rulers mourn the destruction of Babylon. The second mourners are, are businessmen. Start at verse 11. The merchants of the earth shall weep and mourn over her, for no man buys their merchandise anymore. The merchandise of 
gold and silver and precious stones and pearls and fine linen and purple and silk and scarlet and all thyine wood, that is citron wood, it's a scented wood, and all manner vessels of ivory and all manner vessels of precious wood and of brass and iron and marble and cinnamon and odors and ointments and frankincense and wine and oil and fine flour and wheat and beasts and sheep and horses and chariots and slaves and souls of men. And the fruits that thy soul lusted after are departed from thee. And all things which were dainty and goodly are departed from thee. And thou shalt find them no more at all. The merchants of these things which were made rich by her shall stand afar off for the fear of her torment, weeping and wailing and saying, Alas, alas, the great city that was clothed in fine linen and purple and scarlet and decked with gold and precious stones and pearls. Actually, their lament goes on with the first line of verse 17. For in one hour so great riches is come to naught, to nothing. Much like the political rulers, the merchants mourn over Babylon's loss only as it relates to their own loss. Right? As secular Babylon is judged, the world economy collapses. Merchants still have goods, but verse 11, the end of verse 11 says, you know, no man buys their merchandise anymore. Nobody can buy what it is that they have to sell. This may well have something to do with what we've read earlier in Revelation about you had to have the, the mark of the beast in order to buy or sell, right? This uh, dedication to the Antichrist in order to be able to participate in the world market. But now, when that system is destroyed, how do you replace it? For example, just imagine living in a truly cashless society where, where only... Uh, credit and debit cards work, but suddenly you can't process credit and debit cards anymore. What happens to the economy? You can't buy what's for sale. You can't sell to anything, anyone. <coughs> for those of you older folks, it's like looking at Sears catalog and there's no order form to send in. For you younger folks, it's like going to your Amazon cart and finding you can't check out anymore. Where those without the mark of the beast could buy and sell, now uh, couldn't buy and sell, now nobody can buy and sell. Verses 12 and 13 list almost 30 specific items that are no longer marketable. You can kind of group them together into like seven larger categories. There's precious metals and jewels. There's fabrics. There's all kinds of furniture and decorations. There's perfumes groceries, cattle, and slaves. Slaves and the souls of men literally is slaves and the lives of men. Right? The merchants are mourning over this destruction because there's nothing that they wouldn't sell and now there's nothing that they can sell. And if you can't, just think about this, if you can't check out on your Amazon cart, the UPS guy is not going to be very happy about that, right? So the third mourners are shippers. Look at verse 17. For in one hour, so great riches has come to nothing, and every shipmaster, and all the company and ships and sailors, as many as trade by sea, 
stood afar off and cried when they saw the smoke of her burning, saying, What city is like unto this great city? And they cast dust on their head and cried, weeping and wailing, saying, Alas, alas, that great city, wherein were made rich all that had ships in the sea by reason of her costliness. For in one hour she is made desolate. Right, Just like the political leaders and the businessmen, the shipmasters, mourn over their own loss. Although they had a unique question at the end of verse 18. What city is like this city? The idea is there has never been anything like it. And so there's never been devastation like this. Just like the others, the, sta- the sailors stand far off. All three groups remark on the, the suddenness of the destruction. The overall picture is this. They loved the world. They were self-confident in their own power. They lived in untouchable luxury. They never saw this coming. Fifth in this chapter, and finally, the destruction is celebrated. If this destruction does not seem just to you, if, if you read this and it's like, well, this doesn't seem right, I can't find this God glorifying. If you have pity for this city, you are almost certainly more worldly than you think you are. If you love God, you will love what God loves and you will hate what God hates. And while you'll live your life following his commands to mercifully declare the gospel to the wicked world around you, you will not begrudge its destruction when that destruction comes. Verse 20 calls for rejoicing. Right? Rejoice over her, you heaven and you holy apostles and prophets, for God has avenged you on her. Verse 20 tells us all God's people are called to rejoice over the destruction of wicked Babylon. And verses 21 through 24 explains why. Now, I want you to just listen as I read them. I'll try to stress this, but listen for this repeated phrase, no more at all. Verse 21, the mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone and cast it in the sea, saying, Thus with violence shall the great city Babylon be thrown down, right? Dramatically. And shall be found no more at all. And the voice of the harpers and musicians and pipers and trumpeters shall be heard no more at all in you. And no craftsman of whatsoever craft he may be shall be found any more in you. And the sound of a millstone shall be heard no more at all in you. And the light of a candle shall shine no more at all in you. And the voice of the bridegroom and of the bride shall be heard no more at all in you. For your merchants were the great men of the earth. For by your sorceries were all nations deceived. And in her was found the blood of prophets and of saints and of all that were slain upon the earth. The ultimate reason for Babylon's destruction at the end of verse 23 and 24 is it had made great merchants, but it had deceived the world. And it had persecuted the Lord's people. And so there is a chorus of no more at alls in these verses. The idea of that oft-repeated no more at all is one of absolute prohibition. 
right? It's actually a, a double negative in Greek. Never, never again. So at the end of verse 21, never again will there be a record of this city. It's gone for good. Verse 22 says, never again will there be musicians playing. Never again will there be craftsmen building anything there. Never again will there be preparing of food, right? Grinding at the millstone there. uh, Verse 23 says there will never again be light shining. At the end of verse 23, never again will a bride or groom be heard again there. The point of those no more at alls, those never, never agains, is partially to say there is complete destruction of this evil world system. But I think they're also there as a commentary on Babylon's failures, on the failures of every wicked world system that's doomed for destruction. Let me ask you the question I asked you at the beginning. Why are we here? We are made for God's glory. But verse 7 shows that everything done in this world and those who love this world is to show how much she's glorified herself, right? When they knew God, they would not glorify him as God. They would not be thankful, right? All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And so why are these things listed? Well, I can hear an echo here of, Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. When you go down this list, what is the purpose of singing or of working a craft or of preparing food or of of marriage or of merchants or something so innocuous as lighting a candle? What is the purpose of anything if it's not to bring glory to God? This world was made to glorify God. Him and all humanity that will not glorify God with their lives will glorify Him as the objects of His wrath. You will either live in obedience and love and faithfulness to the Lord Jesus for His glory, or He will pour out His righteous and just wrath on your life for His glory. The day is coming when He will permit the rebellion of this wicked world to go on no more at all (laughs) never never again the destruction and devastation we read about in these two chapters as God pours out his wrath on this wicked world system some see it as a cause for mourning and others see it as a cause for rejoicing and you are faced with asking yourself, which one of those groups are you a part of? Because when this day of destruction comes, it is glorifying to God. The world will sorrow, but the saints will sing. 